Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, many of you probably don't know this, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, I hit the grand age of 3010. And uh, there's a song that I used to sing when I was at school, and um, I'm hoping that some others here know it as well, because I'm going to try and sing a bit of it, because it will help you to know it. So please, if you know it, sing along with it. We used to sing it in school. It's called Think of a World Without Any Flowers. There's nobody out there. I'm on my own, am I? The words aren't up there, so it's from your own brains. They're in front of me, though. It goes like this. Think of a world without any flowers. Think of a world without any trees. Think of a sky without any sunshine. Think of the air without any breeze. We thank you, Lord, for flowers and trees and sunshine. We thank you, Lord, and praise your holy name. What a roller coaster of a song. <laughs> it's, I mean, those of you who are musical will know that if you write something in the minor key, you feel sad. And then you write it in the major key and you feel happy. But it's, it's a real roller coaster thinking of a world without all of these things that we know. Park that. Uh, just to, everyone take your hands and uh, just rub them together. What's happening? They're getting warm, are they? You've got it already. We've got the, the young ones down the front here. They can remember their science lessons. Why is it getting warm? Friction. Friction. Excellent. Well done. Now, um, <laughs> who's ever been on one of those slip and slide things? Yes. I have had a couple of experiences on slip and slide things. For those of you who don't know, you get a, a long length of damp-proof membrane and run it down a hill and you squirt soap over it and a bit of water. And then you dive down that thing and you go absolutely flying down it. We did it once uh, when I was a scout and uh, we did it as a bungee run. So you'd clip a bungee onto the back of somebody, like put a harness on them, clip a bungee on the back of them, and then tell them to run down this slip and slide, and they get as far as they can, and then they go straight back again. Anyway, so one of the leaders who was running it, we said, you should have a go. So he put the harness on, and then we pretended to clip the bungee on. <laughs> so he just went flying down this thing. Absolutely brilliant fun. Anyway, <laughs> last time I went on one, uh, I did my back in for about three days after. Not going to happen again. That's because I'm getting old. <laughs> now, have you ever imagined a world without friction? What would happen if there was no friction? What would happen if there was no friction? We wouldn't be on the ground. Yeah, possibly. I mean, we could, I could push off that wall there and I could slide straight down the middle of the church Forever. Well, until I hit the other wall, actually. That's when I would stop. You wouldn't be able to stop yourself. I mean, we wouldn't be able to pick up things because you need friction to pick, pick up things. Uh, you wouldn't... I mean, effectively, actually, the whole world would fall apart because on a molecular level, uh, friction's sort of holding molecules together in a way. So it wouldn't work. Anyway, um, friction's pretty important. But what about, what about gravity? Have you thought of a world without gravity? That's a bit easier to think of because we've had films along those lines, haven't we? We know what it's like in space. I've got another song. <laughs> don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? Yeah, Pay Paradise, we did. Um, 
see, there's something, there's something in humans that, <laughs> there's something in humans that uh, it seems to be built into us that the things that are always there, we just take them for granted, don't we? We just think they're always going to be there. What have these uh, got in common? We've got three of them up there. We've got a Tasmanian tiger, a West African rhinoceros, and a dodo. What have those three got in common? They're extinct. You're right. Now, I, I reckon there's very few people who set out on the path of life with an aim to knock out a species from the, the world, you know, to, to make a species extinct. But that is what happens because of the way that we treat some of the animals around us, some of the, um, not just animals, but plants as well. We just think, well, they're there, so they're always going to be there. We just take them for granted, don't we? This idea has uh, been in the fore of our mind with a, a um, a lot of talk and a lot of activism about climate change recently, hasn't it? I wonder what it's going to take us to recognize that the damage that we're causing to our planet is actually long-lasting. And, I mean, if we believe what we're told by the scientists and by the Extinction Rebellion group, that it is actually going to have a serious, serious effect on us. What will it take us? My fear is that it will actually take something incredibly bad happening before we recognize the problem and the things that we take for granted will be lost forever. Our country at the moment, in fact, the whole world is sort of in political turmoil at the minute, isn't it? We've got another election coming up. Woo! (laughs) Bring it on! (laughs) When somebody, um, when someone's loved one dies, often they will say something like, I wish I could have told them this. Or, I can't imagine life without them. Or, I just thought that they would always be there. It's often when tragedy strikes that we look at what is really, truly stable in our life, isn't it? Is it our home? Is it our home? Surely that is always going to be there, but no. We may not pay the rent, or we may have a house fire or something. Is it our family? Well, family is often there, but sadly, relationships sometimes do break down, and somebody could die, possibly. Is it our youthful looks? Nope. (laughs) Surely the government is going to provide some sort of stability to my life, but no, not even there. Even the earth underneath our feet as strong as it feels, can shake and crumble, can't it? Just ask the guys at Black Gang Chai, and they'll tell you about that. Is there anything that is always there? Just saying yes. Well, I'm going to tell you a joke. I may have told you this joke before, so if I have, I apologize, but still laugh in the right place. Um, in, in a Sunday school once, uh, the Sunday school teacher said to... Uh, the children, okay, children, I've got a question for you. Um, what is red and fluffy and has a bushy tail and pointy ears and likes to eat hazelnuts? And little Johnny in the Sunday school says, uh, sounds like a squirrel, but it must be Jesus. <laughs> because we know, we know the answer in Sunday school is always Jesus, don't we? And, you know, when I was talking a minute ago about what is stable in our life, 
most of you here are probably thinking, yeah, we know where you're going. God is the one who is stable in our life. But that's the problem, isn't it? We just sort of think, yeah, that's what it is. Okay, move on to the next thing. It's so easy to overlook the fact that God is always there. And yet it's his, it's his very thereness that is so important to remember and yet so easily forgotten, isn't it? The name of God that we're looking at today um, is quite amazing because of what Les said. God is there. That is the name that we're looking at. Jehovah Shammah. For those of you who haven't been here for a few weeks, or maybe you're visiting, uh, we're going through a series looking at different names that God has throughout the Old Testament. And we're on to Jehovah Shammah. God is there. Now this name is the last new name in the Old Testament. So get that into your heads. It's the last new name that's introduced to us in the, new Test- in the Old Testament. And it comes in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet. Um, so around 600 years before Jesus, God's people, the Israelites, were taken away from the promised land. Basically, they had been disobedient to God, and God had said, okay, well, the Babylonians, who were the mega power at the time, you're going to go to them. They're going to take over your land, and you are going to go into exile in Babylon. Just imagine for a moment that you're one of those people, who, one of God's people, the Israelites. So you used to live in God's land. God used to live in a temple in your land, a magnificent temple. And then you're just whisked away from there. And you're in this place. It's just a strange land. You don't don't know what's going on there. And then after 11 years of you being in captivity in in exile in um, Babylon you hear news that the city of God, Jerusalem, has been destroyed, including the temple. So now what? Surely, surely God's abandoned you, hasn't he? That's, that's what the people must have been thinking. Ezekiel, he prophesies about the sinfulness of God's people. There's 48 chapters of uh, Ezekiel's prophecies. I listened to it this week. Um, if you ever get a chance to listen to audio Bible, um, you can get it on your phone. It's absolutely brilliant because you just sort of immerse yourself in God's word. And it's different from sort of studying little bits. Anyway, listen to the whole of it. And I mean, there, there's a, a lot of Ezekiel saying, you lot know you've done wrong, don't you? And then Ezekiel goes on to... Uh, prophesy about the fall of Jerusalem. This is before it happened, um, because Ezekiel's prophecies sort of span a a length of time. Um, And then he prophesies about the nations that surround Israel and how they are all going to fall in the end. And then he moves on to prophesying. This is prophecy is a message from from God to people. So Ezekiel prophesies about the rebuilding and the reestablishing of God's nation. And then finally, Ezekiel prophesies about the rebuilding of Jerusalem, God's city. And the prophecy ends with these words. This is a full 14 years after Jerusalem has been, has been demolished. So imagine you're these people hearing these words. The name of the city from that time on will be Jehovah Shammah. The name of the city will be the Lord is there. Isn't God everywhere? 
Well, yes, he is everywhere. But there are times when he is evidently, he makes himself more evident to people than at others. So at that time, God was promising to his people that his eternal presence would be with his people. Who's ever f- heard the phrase, God showed up? Ashley used it this morning. Who's ever, God showed up. It's one of those phrases that Christians use. Um, it's often, it goes along with a story sometimes like, uh, I was on my way to uh, Kuala Lumpur and my baggage got lost. And then God showed up and it was on the next carousel. <laughs> or maybe that, uh, you know, you're, you're in a prayer meeting and you're, you're praying and it's, you know, normal prayers and it feels like you're talking to God and then God shows up and people are responding in different ways. Maybe they're speaking in tongues or they're, uh, they're falling on the floor or something like that. We use this phrase, God showed up. And it's true, there is some truth in that word, but we've got to be careful with it, haven't we? Because underlying it can be the assumption that unless you see something happen, God isn't there. But that's not true. The truth is Jehovah Shammah. God is there, full stop. Yes, God may show up and do something phenomenal at one point in time, but it doesn't change the fact that God is always there. I used to work at a a place called Medina Valley Center. Many of you know it. Uh, An outdoor pursuits and um, uh, education center. It's sadly recently closed down, but we're hoping for new things to come out of it soon. But when I used to show people around there, it was amazing. Almost everybody who'd never been there, they'd come in there and they would leave saying, do you know what, there's just something about this place. There's, I can't quite put my finger on it. There's something about this place. It's so peaceful, or it just feels like a great place. And, of course, we would say, well, that's because it's a place that is dedicated to God, and maybe it's the people who work there. Maybe there's something special about the actual place. I don't quite understand the theology of that, but there, there was something special that people who didn't know Jesus at all would recognize. Yeah, there's something about this place. Um, last year, as a family, we went to Singapore, and down in the bottom right-hand corner there, you can see what at, it took my breath away, this, this shopping center. I mean, the, the extravagant, well, of the whole place of Singapore, actually, but this particular shopping center, we walked into it, and you look down about 10 stories, and then you look up about 10 stories, and it's just a vast, vast space, and you know, the, the opulence there. It was just everything was expensive. There was, a, there was a gondola ride that took you from one end of the shopping center to the other end. And there was uh, the, the water into that, um, into that river was fed from a bowl that, no, no lie, it was about the, the diameter was about the width of this church. A massive bowl with water swirling down and cascading down through this shopping center to take people along in gondolas. It was big. It was impressive. I think I made that clear. (laughs) Now, many of us have been to cathedrals as well, haven't we? I've been spent quite a lot of time in York Minster. um, And York Minster is just a phenomenal, beautiful building. And when I go in there, I feel... In fact, when I, I used to go in there when I had a day where I could just reflect on who God was. I used to go there because I felt just a different sense. I felt that God was there. Now, I felt that 
I feel that in cathedrals, and many people do, but I don't feel that in shopping centres. And so there is something different about, you know, they're two grand buildings, or awesome, if we use that word correctly, which I know is not quite correctly, but there was something amazing about them, but one was full of God, and one, oh, I need to be careful there, don't I? One was, one was still just as full of God, but I couldn't tell he was there. <laughs> you can scrub that one off the audio if that was wrong. <laughs> God is always there, but sometimes he chooses to be more evident than at other times. Also, I think it's true to say that sometimes we're more receptive to God being there than at other times. Maybe if I went into that shopping center looking for God rather than looking for... I was actually looking for some takeaway for the family. Uh, But if I went in there looking for God, then maybe I would have found him. It's so easy to take things for granted, isn't it? We should be aware and thankful for God who is there all the time, who will never leave us or forsake us. going to just have a quick look through the Bible, uh, uh, just a quick look, um, at this God who is Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. In the beginning, God. That, those are the first words of the Bible. And what's awesome about that is it's, it's not, we just think of in the beginning, right, when the world was created. But no, in the beginning, before all that, before all of that, There was God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, living together, loving each other in perfect community. In the beginning, God. So he was Jehovah Shammah before Ezekiel pitched up. He was there before the world was created. He was God is there forever. We're not going to go through one verse at a time, just say (laughs) that. God is there in the Garden of Eden. God creates a beautiful, beautiful, awesome universe and creates a world and creates people, man and woman, on this earth. Perfect, unbroken relationship with God. Exactly the way God designed it. For people to walk, walk in the garden with God, chatting with him, just hanging out with him, just enjoying being in his presence. Now, as many of us will know, but maybe you have never heard before, that was broken when Adam and Eve decided, actually, rather than just enjoying this, there's something I want for myself. When they decided, there's something I want for myself, and they chose to do the one thing that God had said, you shouldn't do this, to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, That was when we call it sin, or the Bible calls it sin, entered the world. When man and woman decided to turn from God and go their own way. That was when that was broken. Now God is still there, but that relationship with God was broken. We move on in the Bible and we we hear a story about Moses leading people out of Egypt. So God's people had got... got, uh, 
they were, they were slaves in Egypt. And God is there in the cloud and the fire. Now, God was always there, but God was specifically there and more evidently there in the cloud and the fire. Can you imagine what a sight it would be? One million people being led by a bloke with a stick and a cloud of fire <laughs> or a, a pillar of fire at the night, uh, during the night and a cloud during the daytime. That was how God chose to lead his people out of Egypt. Now, that's the kind of thing that you'd think you'd remember, wouldn't you? You think, and then the, I mean, the, the sea split in two so they could go through it. You would think that's the kind of thing that people would remember. But even that kind of vision and clarity of who God is, they still forgot. It's so easy to take things for granted, isn't it? Just because the pillar and the, the, the cloud isn't there, it doesn't mean God is not there. God's there in the, in the tabernacle. In the tent that he, he gave the design to, to Moses and to the priests, he said, build me a tent so that when you're moving around, this, is, this can be the place where I'm going to show, I'm going to show to my people that I am there. My glory will be there. I'll still be everywhere, but I'll be there to show you that I am still with you. What a, what a comfort and a reminder that would have been to, to God's people as they were sort of wandering their way on the way to their promised land. We see God there in the temple as well. So this is after God's people have settled down. God's given them the land that he promised them. And they're there and they build this temple in Jerusalem. Now Ezekiel prophesied that God left the temple. So this is a a message from God that God was going to leave that temple. But then it finishes with the prophecy that God is... There, God is still going to be back there. Now, we get there's there's an amazing passage in uh, two Chronicles that explains what happened when that temple was dedicated for the first time. So when it was, you know, sort of cutting the ribbon moment, uh, this is this is what happened. All the Levites who were musicians stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They weren't lyres. Just to be clear, they were their little guitar-y things. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to God. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So God is everywhere, but God was specifically, evidently there to to prove himself to his people that he is there because he understands how people work, I guess. (laughs) Now, God also promises that he's going to be present in that new Jerusalem. We heard that in Ezekiel 48 where the, new, the name of this city will be Jehovah Shammah. But we hear it from other prophets as well. And more specifically, and we're going to hear a lot about this in December, in Isaiah 7 verse 14. This is what Isaiah prophesied. The Lord will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son 
and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now in the Bible, after all these prophecies, there's actually a time where God doesn't seem to be speaking to his people. There's about 400 years from the last prophecy to when we next hear about God doing things. Does that mean God wasn't there? No, no, it doesn't. God was still there. God is there. But he happened not to be talking to people in specific ways at that time. Maybe there were, I'm sure there were individual stories, but they didn't make it into the Bible. But for God's people trying to understand what's happening, there's 400 years where they haven't heard from God, but they've heard these prophecies of something is going to happen. And then we move forward into the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. God is there as Emmanuel. Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, born as a baby, conceived of the Virgin Mary, to be God here with us in person. Now that is the kind of thing that blows our minds if we allow it to. It may be the kind of thing that we just think, yeah, I've heard that before. But if we allow it to blow our minds, it should blow our minds. And then there are moments where God, in person, you know, he goes into a temple. At, at the age of 12, he went into, a, into the temple in Jerusalem. The temple that God had said, this is, this is where I will display my glory. And he, and he, he, his, his parents say, were wondering where he was, weren't they? And he said, well, I'll, I'll be in my, I was in my father's house. It's obvious where I would be. So uh, there's something amazing about that. I haven't fully worked it out, but God here on earth going to the place where God the Father is, but he still knows that God is everywhere. I mean, Jesus knew that God was anywhere. He could meet him anywhere, but he still chooses to go to the temple and meet God there. When Jesus died on the cross, the, uh, the Bible records that the temple curtain, so a curtain that divided the part that the people could go in from the part where God was, that curtain split in two from top to bottom. From that moment on, God doesn't just show up in a cloud or in fire or in smoke. God is now approachable by us. We can come to him. There is no barrier that separates us from God, from the glory of God, and from ourselves. There's, there's no barrier there now. That was, I mean, that was the pivotal moment in history, wasn't it? If we just go back a bit, back to before Jesus died, at Jesus' baptism, God the Trinity is there. Now, I, uh, there may be other theologians who can point me to other times when all three of the Godhead were there at once, evident to everybody. Now, they were always there all the time. But there's this moment where, well, let me read it from uh, Matthew 3. After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him, the Holy Spirit. And a voice from heaven, God the Father, said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. What a moment in history that all three persons of the Godhead there 
at once for people to see and people to hear and people to understand. This is the God that we worship. Do we have any Anglicans among us? I'm going to say some words. There was deathly silence when I said that. <laughs> so if, if, the, if the leader in the church, the minister says, the Lord is here. No, none of you. Okay. Well, I grew up in an Anglican church where um, we would follow liturgy. And one of the parts of the liturgy, one of the, the things that we would say most weeks, the question would be, or the, the, the minister would say, the Lord is here. And we would respond, his spirit is with us. And then he'd say, lift up your hearts. And we'd say, we lift them to the Lord. There, yeah, you're mouthing it. You do know it. <laughs> Let, it's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, Dave. <laughs> Let us give thanks to our Lord, to our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. Now, when I was little, that was just boring words that I said. But they now mean something to me. And they, they, come, they come back to my mind. The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. See, that is true, full stop. So yes, it's good to repeat it week in, week out, because it's true. You see, now, God is here with us. God is here in us. Remember the the fire and the cloud? Well, the, the fire that led God's people out of Egypt. And then the tongues of uh, the, the fire, uh, the, the dove that, that landed on Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Then we hear at Pentecost, tongues of fire descended and landed on God's people. And the Holy Spirit was given to God's people. See, Jesus promised that this is what was going to happen. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads all into truth. No, who leads into all truth. It's a bit different. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. What an amazing promise and what an amazing moment we live in now where the God who led his people with a cloud and with fire is now living inside of us if we believe and trust in Jesus. And then finally, as we finish off our quick journey through the Bible, God is there in the end. And it sort of comes full circle right back to the beginning where God is with his people fully evident all the time. In Revelation 22, we hear that it says, Then the angel showed me a river with water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse on anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there. No need for lamps or the sun. For the Lord God will shine on them. And they will reign forever and ever. What an amazing vision to look forward to. When 
yes, God is here with us now and he is in us. But if I'm honest, which I try to be, (laughs) there are a lot of times when I think, where are you, God? Where are you? I want to see him more. I want to feel him more. I want to experience him more. I want to be led by him more. And I, I pray that and I ask him. I ask him. And sometimes I don't feel anything. And I want to be in that place where I see him face to face and I know he is there forever. But I don't want to just wait till then. So I will keep on. We'd say, oh, it's another Christian thing I was about to say there. Keep on pushing in, which is true. We keep on pushing towards God and saying, God, I want to see you more. I want to experience you more. And yes, there's submission that comes there as well. I need to submit to his authority and I need to, uh, I need to, to work at it. I need to use my time to seek after him. Seek first the kingdom of God, he says, doesn't he? That's what I want for now. That's what I want for all of us for now. But what a glorious thing to look forward to in the future. So what about now? God is, God is still at work. God is there now. He's been there since before the beginning of time. And he'll be there at the end of time to bring in this new order of things. But in the meantime, he's not just sat back sort of with his feet up. He's right there in the thick of it, in his church in the people in his church who are then out in the community. That's what God's doing. See, God knew me before I was even a twinkle in my parents' eye. That's something you don't want to think about too much, is it? <laughs> he, knew, he knew exactly how I would be formed. He knew the cells that would need to come together to make the first cell that was Simon. He carefully designed it, that cell, so that it would multiply and multiply and multiply in such an awesome way that it would, it would become a spinal cord and a heart and elbows and a brain. I mean, if God's not involved in that, I don't, don't know what you think, but <laughs> that, that to me is, is miraculous. He knew exactly when I would be born. He knew when I would take my first steps He knew when I would learn to sail, although I haven't quite mastered that yet. (laughs) That's still coming. He knew when I would fall down a 100-foot cliff. That's another story. He knew when I would have my first kiss. He knew when I would smack my chin on the undercarriage of a Land Rover and end up in a greasy, bloody mess. He knows every thought before I even think it. The good thoughts the dreams, the visions, the hopes, but also the fears, the negativity and the doubt, the hateful thoughts that I wish I never thought. If I go to the top of a mountain, he's there, isn't he, Les? (laughs) If I lose my rudder in the middle of the Pacific, he's there. Just ask Rick. If I stay up too late watching Netflix, he's there. If I'm winning the race, he's there. If I'm losing the race, he's there. If I'm winning the game of rugby, he's still there (laughs) and losing. He's holding the whole of creation together without even breaking a sweat or batting an eyelid. If my baggage gets lost in an airport, he's still there. He's still in control. If I get lost on the way to an interview, he's still there. It's sounding a little bit like Psalm 139, isn't it? Seek first. 
the kingdom of God. I can't remember if I shared with you about this lump of rock which is about to come up now called the Cyrus Cylinder. I don't know if I did or not. Oh, did you? Well, that's good. So anyway, um, this, this lump of rock is, is intricately uh, carved out with uh, writing. It's, it's Persian writing, I believe, um, and it is a few thousand years old. And this, uh, this lump of stone uh, is a, a, a cylinder which, on which is written, among other things, the edict that King Cyrus said uh, that God's people, the Israelites, can now go out of slavery, uh, out, out of exile in Babylon. They can now go and they can go back to their home. And, and that rock is in, the British, London, in, in the, the British Museum in London. I'm not quite sure how we got it there, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's there for us to see. And when I, when I went there and I saw it and it was explained to me what it was, it struck me quite hard, really, that it's real. <laughs> it, it was there in front of me, and I've been brought up reading the Bible and believing that the Bible is real, but there was something about that that really hit home that actually, yeah, there's something from outside of the Bible that is saying, yep, yeah, this actually happened. And it's the same, uh, the same thing that is written down in the book of Ezra when uh, it, you know, King Cyrus says the people can go back to their home now. And it's right there in the British London, and it, and it struck me, and there's, I like things that are solid and concrete. My prayer for me and for all of us is that uh, God is there, Jehovah Shammah, will be as concrete to us as seeing something like that in a glass case in a museum. That's what I hope, that we can know every single day that God is there. Let's not take God's presence for granted. Not because it may be lost at some time, because it can never be lost. He will always be there. And not because everything else might fall apart around us, although that may happen. We shouldn't take his presence for granted because we're designed to be with God. That's how he's made us. We're just going to finish um, with... It's, it's going to sound Anglican again. I'm sorry, people. But... Uh, there's just a, a bit of a prayer, and there's a response from you guys. So the response from you is, God is there, he is here, he is everywhere. Yeah. Should we say it together? God is there, he is here, he is everywhere. And when we're thinking about this, when we're praying this, think of God in all of his glory. We've been hearing over the weeks about uh, the different names of God. El Shaddai. Lord God Almighty, Adonai, Lord and Master, Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, Jehovah, get it right, Sitkanu, the Lord of righteousness, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. This is the God that we're talking about, who is all of those things, but he is also always there. So let's pray. When you feel alone, God is there, he is here, he is everywhere. When someone you love leaves you, God is there, he is here, he is everywhere. 
when you get bad or good news from the doctor. God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. When you wonder why you hurt so much, God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. When you feel like hurting yourself, God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. When you are tempted to do something wrong, God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. When you make a mistake, God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. When you're sharing the highs and lows of life with your friends, God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. When you're afraid about the future, God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. This week, as we go out into our, our lives, into the world, God is always, already there. But the awesome truth is that we are also taking God with us in our hearts as the Holy Spirit. What amazing things could happen this week if we believed that and we recognized that and we took the time to see that in action.